Um, if you saw Kai's last name, Esainko, uh, it's a Ukrainian name. And I know his dad's family is, has some Ukrainian background. And some of you know that I have a very close uh, attachment emotionally and otherwise to Russia and Ukraine. Um, before I went to seminary, I was a Russian scholar and um, have been to the Ukraine a number of times and also to Russia. And my cousin's wife is from Ukraine. So uh, I've been very preoccupied and um, devastated this past week. But I know so many others have been as well. And um, it's easy for me, me to say what, where I'm coming from, but that's not what I want to do today. I just want you to, if you want to hear more about where I'm coming from about this conflict, you can go to my Facebook page um, where I'm sharing some ideas and some links to important information. But um, right now all I want to say is Mir Ukraine or Mir Ukraini which is peace to Ukraine in both Russian and Ukrainian. So, having said that, let's turn to the scripture lesson today. The past two weeks, Steve Shipstead has been preaching on faith and hope. And what's the next member of that triad from the, from the Bible? What comes after faith, hope, and? Love. Guess what I get to preach about today? Love. So I'm really thrilled to be preaching and talking and sharing what the Bible has to say about love today. So let's listen now for God's word today to all of us, wherever we happen to be, from the first letter of John, chapter 4. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loves us so much, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you so much for your word, and we pray that you'll open our eyes, our ears, our hearts and minds to hear it, to see it, to live it out in word and deed, as best we can this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as as we all know, at the heart of the Christian story, the story that we tell, that we've been telling for 2,000 years, is God's unending love for you and me, and for all of creation, throughout time, in every place. That love is so strong that God chooses to be one of us in Jesus to come close enough to touch and to embrace and to heal and serve and suffer and redeem all of creation out of love. That story has been compelling enough, as I said, that we've been telling it, sharing it all over the world for 2,000 years. 
And when that story is told right, it's not just with the words that we happen to use. It's with the lives that we lead. Mark Labertson is the former pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley, and he tells a story of a young man who was in his mid-20s, and he came up on one Sunday morning after worship and talked to the pastor. He was really earnest. He showed up with determination, and he says this, Pastor, I'm checking out churches and wondering about something. I go to some churches and I hear a lot about Jesus, but very little about the world. I go to others and I hear a lot about the world, but very little about Jesus. Today, I heard a lot about Jesus and a lot about the world. Here's my question. It's easy to find people like me. We're a dime a dozen. What I want to know is... If I hang out at your church, will I meet people who are like Jesus? And in reflecting on that question, the pastor writes, This young man was paying close attention to what our church said. But what he wanted most was to meet people who lived and loved like Jesus in the world. For a moment, I looked into his eyes for any sign of a cynic, or an accuser. What I saw instead were bright and honest eyes asking a clear, serious, and earnest question. Does following Jesus show? Great question. Great question. Maybe the most important question we can ask or be asked as Christians, as the body of Christ, is our love of God and our love for each other as Jesus loves us, is it visible? Does it show? Now, I can tell you that a whole lot of people are looking, watching, waiting for an answer. Not just about this church, about all churches. In fact, a poll was taken a few years back um, that asked this question. Why is it hard to be a Christian or to remain a Christian? Why is it hard? And here are the top five answers. Number one, God seems to condone so much violence in the Bible. Number two, how do you reconcile faith and science? Number three, where is God in the face of so much suffering? Number four, how does Christianity relate to other religious and secular worldviews with respect? And number five, how do Christians treat other Christians? Now, the first four of those answers are probably not that surprising. I mean, honestly, I struggle with the violence in the Bible and reconciling faith in science and suffering and finding truth in other worldviews. But that last barrier really hits, really hits hard, really hits hard. Because as tough as it might be for us as a church to hear, over the centuries, so many messages of exclusion and judgment have been delivered in the veiled or not so veiled language of Christianity. Churches can preach love while practicing condemnation. 
happens all the time. And as biblical scholar Peter Enns writes, a faith that eats its own not only drives people out, it also sends up a red flare to the rest of humanity that Christianity is just another exclusive members-only club and that Jesus is really not much more than a lingering relic of antiquity rather than a powerful, present, defining, loving spiritual reality. Jesus becomes more a means of gaining power than a model for how to freely relinquish power. And frankly, who needs that? Maybe that's somebody calling to see what we believe as a church. So please tell them we love one another as Jesus loves us. So that brings us back to the question, doesn't it? Does following Jesus show, right, from us, from other people, from other Christians? Well, as we hear in 1 John, there is a very simple way to find out whether our love for Jesus shows in how we live our lives. The test is, do we love one another? That's the test. John begins with probably one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Beloved, let us love one another. I used to sing that every week in my church youth group for years, a beautiful song to that. It's just ingrained in my memory. Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love. I don't remember how the rest of it goes, but that's how it starts. And God shows us the extraordinary extent of that love in the life and death of Jesus. That's what John says. And then he writes this. Since God has loved us this much, we also ought to, and the obvious end of that sentence should be, well, we ought to love God too, right? I mean, if turnabout is fair play and if God loves us so much, we ought to love God. It's only natural, reciprocal. And of course, we should love God with all our heart, mind, and strength, as the Bible says. But as you heard, that's not how the sentence ends. Instead, the conclusion and the new commandments that Jesus gave his disciples on the last night of his life is that in response to God's love, we should love one another. Now, we've all heard that before, I'm sure, maybe many, many times. But it's not always easy to love one another, is it? Hey, part of the reason why, honestly, is our own limited understanding of love. As you may have heard in a sermon or two in various places over the years, English only has one little four-letter word for love. But in the New Testament, there are three, at least three, Greek words for what we translate as love. The first is philia which is sometimes defined as affection or brotherly love, as in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So philia can be warm and caring and compassionate between friends and acquaintances. And then there's another word for love in Greek, which is eros, eros, which we might call romantic love, although it's actually much more 
involved in that. But anyway, it's basically the desire that lovers have for one another. And finally, there is agape in Greek. The word that John is using here and that the word for love that we find most often in the New Testament. Agape, it doesn't distinguish between what or who is lovable. It's all-embracing, sacrificing self to nurture, to protect, to save, to heal another person. The author uh, Madeline Langell defined agape as, quote, a profound concern for the welfare and for the, a profound concern for the welfare of another without any desire to control or be thanked by that other or even to enjoy the process. And you know, when I think of the people that it's hard for me to love with agape or the situations that make it hard, it's usually because none of these underlying conditions exist. The other person will not give me any control over their lives, even if I clearly have their best interests at heart. Or they don't show me any appreciation. They don't even say thank you. Or I just don't get a good return on my, my investment in them, my investment of love. And when that happens, <clears throat> it is hard to reach out, to be vulnerable, to love somebody. It's human nature. It's hard to love somebody. But you see, that is almost exactly how it is in our relationship with God. As human beings, we can never love God to the extent or at the cost that God loves us. I mean, talk about being vulnerable. God is vulnerable. We could never adequately pay back the gift we receive of God's grace. So instead, God calls us to pay it forward. To show self-giving agape love to one another as best we can. Not just to those who are closest to us or in our circle or the people who it's easy to love. Our love as Christians must extend to places and to people where love is foreign, where it's absent, where faith in love has maybe even faded or died. We have to be vulnerable and open in our capacity to give ourselves to somebody else in love, expecting nothing in return. You see, as the journalist Krista Tippett writes, When all is said and done, we will not be measured by how much we have accomplished, but on how well we love in life. And a church will not be measured by the orthodoxy of its theology or the purity of its people or the popularity of its programs. A church will be measured by love. How much of God's love it pours back into the world. That's true. I also came across a quote a few years back. I have no idea who the author was, but I, I like how they put this. It is short and sweet and right to the point. 
Faith needs a language. Faith needs a language. And that language is love. So what language are we using here at Piedmont Community Church? Well, maybe you remember a book that came out in the 90s uh, written by a guy named Gary Chapman. It was called The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. Some of you may have even read that book. Or maybe you haven't, and you probably should, I don't know. But as you can tell by the title, the book is geared to, is, is intended for people in a couple, for two people who love each other. How do we respond to each other? And it's not so much how do I tell somebody else how to love me? It's more about how do I pay attention to how other, the other person in what the couple receives love? It's about paying attention, listening, being aware. So it's about couples. But I think some of the key concepts in that book can really be extended to how we love in a church or through a church. So... Here are the love languages. The first love language is words of affirmation. It's recognizing the reality that we human beings have a deep felt need to be seen, to be heard, to know that we matter to other people. And that means using our words to recognize and to appreciate the gift of another, the other person. Words of affirmation. Second language is quality time. Well, you know, in a church context, that brings to mind all the times, the countless times that I have seen or heard or spent time with people just like you who have given of themselves, have taken the time to reach out to somebody else in their hour of need, making meals, calling on the phone, checking in on somebody you haven't seen in a while, sitting in hospital rooms, Taking time to just show up. Quality time. The third love language is receiving gifts. Now, I got to say, I have received so many gifts from church folks over the years. I'm looking at it. Some of you have given me so many gifts, ranging from crayon drawings that still hang on my office wall from kids that I knew when they were like three years old and now they're 30. (laughs) I still have them on my wall. To, to, to keep me focused on the lives that I've come into touch with over the years and, and whatever small role I've had in somebody's life as they grow up. Ranging from that to uh, the stoles that I wear on Sunday morning. This stole I'm wearing today comes from Saigon, Vietnam. I was on a mission trip with Bob and Judy Wright and maybe some others of you here today. I can't really see. Uh, we were there how many years ago? Ten years ago, something like that, Bob. And uh, a group of folks from PCC went across the street to the cathedral, Catholic Cathedral Bookstore in Saigon and purchased me this, and I wear it proudly ever since. It's a gift. It's precious. All those gifts I've received have been precious, and I know you've all received precious gifts too. Then the fourth love language is acts of service. Concrete actions we take on behalf of vulnerable people to promote their well-being, access to education, food, healthcare, housing, or justice. When we do what's right and act with compassion and kindness, we show 
love. And people receive it and see it. It shows. And finally, the fifth love language is physical touch. Now, for obvious reasons, physical touch is not the same in a church setting as it is in a couple, right? I hope I don't have to say that. Uh, There are boundaries we have to respect, be aware of, observe. Granted, all of that, especially uh, the last few years, we've become much more aware of that. Still, got to say, especially after the isolation we've all suffered in a time of COVID, people clearly want to get together in person, right? I've seen it. I feel it. And metaphorically, at least, I think we all want to reach out and touch and be touched by real, live human beings. Vanetta Mason is a nurse nurse practitioner in Washington, D.C., and she also writes poetry, a lot of it based on her experiences as a nurse. And one of her poems is called God and the Telephone. And in this poem, a home care nurse points out to a patient that her frequent calls and demands are just unreasonable, too much. But the woman doesn't see it this way at all. So she replies in the poem, Look here, sweetheart. There are only two things Lady Jane needs. God and this pink telephone. But God is a spirit, and sometimes I need a flesh and blood person. That's you. Yeah, that's you and me. Here, online, we are flesh and blood people with hands and feet and eyes and ears and hearts and minds that God chooses to dwell in on this earth and to act through. We are receivers of God's love. We are vessels who hold and carry that love. And by the power of the Spirit, we are called to pour out that divine love as best we can, however we can, and to whomever we can. Because truth is, you can quote scripture till you're blue in the face. You can boast about how much faith you have in the amazing grace of God that you've experienced in your life. But the only way to really show that you follow Jesus is to love the way he does. So, beloved, let us love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.